We're bringing you more conversations from our Investing Experts podcast, abridged conversations from our most recent episodes. James Ford, who runs the Pragmatic Investor Investing Group on Seeking Alpha, and Anton Walman, a longtime Seeking Alpha analyst, join us for a bull bear conversation on everybody's favorite stock, Tesla. I think we should go back in time a little bit to look at the history of how these charging networks developed and, and the standards that went into them. Going back to about 2010, 2011, that was when Tesla proposed their uh, their version of a new standard, which is that connector that we all see at the Tesla supercharger. It's a very, very elegant connector that combines both AC and DC charging in a very um, light, narrow cable that uh, I think everybody will agree is a fundamentally more customer-friendly connector. It's sort of like comparing USB versus some other previous flavor of USB, like a USB-A. It's just simply smaller and a bit easier to handle. And um, the rest of the industry, however, decided to go with uh, two different other standards that subsequently have really whittled down to one. It's called CCS, Combined Charging Standard, that really combines an AC and a DC, but they don't sit inside each other. They sit essentially on top of each other so that that makes for a very clunky connector. When you go to one of these CCS chargers, you will see that it's a pretty pretty fat piece, basically, that you have to stick into the car. In and of itself, it's uh, it functions just fine. It's just a bit ugly when you think about it. And it functions a little bit different in the European version thereof uh, than the U.S. one. But nevertheless, this went on for the last few years, and most automakers standardized on this. And now uh, what happened here in early May was that Ford decided that, you know what, um, starting in 2025, uh, we're going to put the uh, Tesla connector on our electric vehicles. They didn't explicitly say, and neither did GM, that they were going to abandon their old CCS connector. So in theory, one might at least suspect that maybe they will keep the other one also. I don't think they will at all. I think that they will get rid of the old CCS, but they never said so explicitly. So that at least, at least leaves the possibility open there. But uh, we also have to look here at the differences between the North American market and the European market. In the European market, for those of us who travel around frequently in Europe, we see that uh, a large chunk of the cars uh, already today that charge at Tesla superchargers are non-Teslas. So in Europe, they've had these adapters that people are using uh, because it essentially became the law in Europe that all the other automakers have the right to charge at Tesla superchargers. So what is being implemented here in a slightly different way in the U.S. slash North American market um, has already been enforced as a practical matter in Europe. And even so, in the U.S., you can already today, you could have had for the last year, I mean, I have friends who afford F-150 Lightnings and so forth. They've been charging from Tesla superchargers for a year already. All you got to do is to buy an adapter. And so this has been working, but who wants to buy adapter, basically? You know, they're, 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 there's a subset of the market that wants um, to carry an adapter around and fiddle around with it. All of the things equal, you want to get rid of it. But it's there. And so this thing has been possible. All you needed to do 
is to essentially download the Tesla app and create an account, and then you were charging. And people were doing it, but most people weren't even aware of it. So part of what GM and Ford have done here, and I assume all automakers are going to be announcing at some point within you know the near future, um, is to make uh, also raise consumer awareness that they can take whatever cars to charge them at Tesla superchargers. Mind you, however, that it also works the other way around. So until now, there had been very little incentive for all the, all of these other charging networks. Uh, we all know several of them that, you know, there are Blink, ChargePoint, you go down the list, all of these other charging networks, uh, independent ones that are smaller, that aren't public, that they, they, they had very little incentive to install the Tesla connector, which they have been have, have had the right to do for a long time, because this is, after all, a standard. Tesla cannot charge money for a standard. So they can do this, but they haven't done so in the past, because at the end of the day, if you're a small fish and you're going to tangle with a large player that um, you know sort of controls the rest of the network, you're probably going to stay away from it. But now, that Ford and GM and soon all the other automakers have bust the doors open to this. I think we're, we already saw announcements uh, a week or two ago from some of these networks that they're going to start, start installing these uh, um, Tesla connectors at their charters. So from the calculation, just strictly monetarily in terms of the charging revenue of other cars, say a Ford or a GM or soon everybody else, uh, charging at Tesla superchargers, you will also have to subtract all of the Tesla owners that are going to be charging at non-superchargers in the future that they weren't doing thus far. So, you know, I it's not clear to me that is, this is going to be a net benefit, even in that calculation uh, for Tesla, because in the U.S. market, Tesla has they're by far their largest market share. It's like well over 50% of all EVs sold today, 60, whatever, 62, 65% of the market are Tesla so far. So, you know, if a certain portion of those 65% start charging at non-Tesla chargers where they weren't doing so before, that could end up being, we don't know, but it could end up being as large or a larger number than those of the minority EVs, the other 35, 40%, that now in the future will start charging at Tesla superchargers. I had a question. I, I was wondering in terms then, so your thesis here is that because Tesla owners are going to be charging at other stations, what kind of um, infrastructure is in place right now? So we know, for example, there's about 40,000 superchargers out there. What is the competing infrastructure out there then? Do you have any idea on the numbers for that? You know, I don't have them in front of me, but it's, it's, a, it's, a, you know, it's a number that is not too different from the Tesla superchargers. If you look at the number of DC chargers that are out there and so forth, the difference is that thus far, Tesla's had the best chargers, and the, the best in the sense that they've been maintained the best. If you go to some of these stations along the freeways, for those of us who have owned Teslas and driven them and compared them with other vehicles, it is clear to me that Tesla's had the best charging network, not just because of the speed of the actual connector or any of those things, but the, the biggest thing has frankly been reliability. And the reliability of many of these other networks has been poor. You show up at one of these networks and for whatever reason, they don't function. You have to, you know, their app doesn't work, their car doesn't work, uh, this thing is just down, or there has been some physical impairment along the way that, um, that basically um, 
hasn't been maintained. This I can, I can there's chargers that I've seen over the years that have been sitting there broken for forget weeks some of them going into the months so what tesla's done very well is that they've maintained their charging stations very well and their re reliability in terms of just plug and play has been very very good and that's been their advantage it's not so much that they have more chargers than the rest the other uh, companies when you combine them they have um, roughly a similar number but the reliability just has been poor. And now this combined charging standard, so to speak, not, not, not in terms of the actual name of the standard being implemented, but the one that Tesla has been using exclusively before, and now everybody will be using, I think will uh, put the feet under the fire um, uh, and uh, uh, really even out some of these reliability concerns across the board. So I think that to the extent that this was an advantage for Tesla in the past, and I believe I've been saying since 2013 that uh, the charging network and its reliability has been Tesla's number one differentiator. That that was, the, you know, especially the last couple of years when heavy competition has come onto the market with uh, lots of cars with more than 250 miles of range. Uh, I think that this has been the number one reason by far that customers would buy a Tesla over another brand. And now with this advantage uh, being reduced quite considerably, uh, I think that this will really threaten Tesla's ability to sell cars on the margin. And we see it to some extent in Europe. I mean, Tesla's market share in Europe, uh, whatever the last few months, I mean, we're talking uh, market share numbers that are way, way, way below what they are in the U.S. And we can argue as to whether um, the fact that Europe has already opened up Tesla's charging network has, has had a has been a main reason for that or not. But I think that going forward, certainly in the U.S., I mean, U.S. is a different driving pattern than Europe. In U.S., people do use superchargers a little bit more for long-distance travel, whereas in Europe, they use chargers more for, you know, people who live in apartment buildings and they charge. They literally, in Europe, they have more chargers deployed on the streets, like at uh, where the parking meters are and so forth. You know, you walk up and down the streets of Paris or Stockholm or whatever, and you see tons of these things, whereas in the U.S., cities you're not you're not going to see many of those um, so I think that when this now evens out I, I think that this will uh, reduce the propensity of people to buy a Tesla versus another brand because really the charging network is no longer a factor in your purchase decision going forward you know you, you could question whether you know the move to open up the the charges is going to be profitable for Tesla whether they did it because of that or you know Elon Musk did come out and say, well, you know, we're just we're just trying to bolster EV adoption. And, you know, I guess my issue would be you say that with that with the opening up the network that they are losing their main kind of competitive advantage. I would say, well, it's kind of subjective, but I do believe there are a lot of other reasons why Tesla has become such a leader. I think there's a clear product differentiation to an extent. And, you know, I've I've compared kind of Tesla before to to the apples. Right. So. And Apple isn't perceived as a lot of the other smartphones. And I don't think that Tesla is either. And I don't know if you wanted to talk to this a little bit, but in my previous article on Tesla, I also talked about uh, the driverless technology, right? Which I think is also a big selling point behind uh, what Tesla is doing. And in fact, the argument there, which was made by Elon Musk a while ago, was that they could even sell cars you know, at a loss. And the idea is that once the driverless technology is... Um, enabled and they can monetize that in a certain way, whether it's by 
you know, using it as a services or or selling kind of a subscription that that would also you know greatly uh, benefit the company, right? I actually have a quote here from Musk. It's a bit of a mouthful. It says, but actually we do have this unique strategy advantage that we have. We're making a car that if autonomy pans out and we think it will, where the assets actually will be worth a hell a lot more in the future than it is now. So it is taken to be possible to say that zero profit, but still have the net present value of future cash flows associated with the asset very significant. So again, that's also something that I think is often overlooked with a company like Tesla, which is also basically a tech company and the value of all that data, right? Now, if we look at, for example, a chart of all the miles that are being driven by the Tesla cars and how that AI, and that is basically why I think they can win the, the driverless technology races because they have that kind of a, they have that asset already on the road kind of picking up that data. I don't know. I know it's a little bit of a change in subject. I don't know if you wanted to speak to that a little bit at all. Sure. Um, no, the uh, the whole issue of a self-driving car is, of course, I mean, it's kind of a little bit of a holy grail type situation, right? Where, you know, if a car truly can drive itself, and what we're, we have to really define the terms here because it's a lot of talk about self-driving and assisted driving and so forth. But when Elon Musk talks about it, he talks about it in these robo-taxi terms. And that means there's nobody behind the wheel. There is no steering wheel. There doesn't have to be a steering wheel. And the car just goes and somehow knows where it's going and can make it there safely and all of that. You can put your blind grandma in the back seat and this thing can just barrel away in some direction and you're going to be very happy with it somehow. And, you know, this thing is still a bit of ways. Um, you know, you can do these things. Other automakers have this thing up and running today in San Francisco and Phoenix and so forth. You got the, the GM company Cruise. You've got uh, Waymo, which is owned by Google, uh, Alphabet. Those guys have um, uh, those guys have products for that. But, you know, they, they go on fairly slow speeds. They go in a very tight geofenced environment. And when um, Tesla today, you know, they... You know, when they file their regulatory filings for, um, you know, for, for example, with the Public Utilities Commission in California, the various bodies that are supposed to regulate these things, they never make the claim that they will ever get to uh, what we call in industry terms so-called level five. Level five is when there's no person in the car and this can, car can go anywhere. Level four is the same, except that it's somehow geofenced a little bit. And uh, so uh, it is possible one day that Tesla and or others will get to the point where the car can drive anywhere. But there's another, that's another um, issue from saying that the cars that are already on the road today are going to be upgradable to that. Uh, and that is where I think Tesla is going to get into trouble, not just with the consumer, but potentially also it could be a legal liability because the company has been selling their products ever since October of 2016 with a promise that they are going to be software upgradable to so-called level five. If you look at the initial press conference that Elon Musk held in the third week of October in 2016, he said that the cars that are rolling off the line today in October 2016, and of course everything going forward, uh, are going to be upgradable to level five, specifically level five. And of course, nothing's happened. I mean, we're talking, we're going on seven years now. Is it seven years? 2016? 20, yes, it's seven years. And 
of course, there's there's no. I mean, if you buy a Tesla today, the instructions are very clear. You have to keep your eyes on the road and hands on the wheel. Tesla is not even a hands uh, off the wheel type system, which many other automakers have. From GM to Mercedes are selling cars today that have been delivered. In the case of GM, they've been delivering them since let's see now, 2017 or 2018, where you are legally allowed to take your hands off the wheel. You still have to. Um, you can't take your eyes off the road because they have a camera that is monitoring your eyes. And even though you have uh, funky sunglasses on, uh, this thing will detect whether you're really paying attention. And it will literally, I've tested this, so I know I've, I've taken a smartphone and tried to cheat a little bit by glancing onto my smartphone. And this thing has all of these lights that light up like a circus carnival in the middle of the steering wheel is basically saying, you know, you know stop looking at your phones to, to look at the road, even though you're hands off legally. And Tesla's not even at that level yet. So when Tesla says that they're going to get there, you know, I see a lot of obstacles on the, on, on, in, in front of them to actually deliver on a product that will meet uh, all of the requirements. So uh, that's where the, the uh, rhetoric that uh, Elon often engages in is a bit different from when Tesla actually has to put text, uh, you know, legally available to the various authorities. First of all, with respect to the user instructions for the car that are very, very clear, uh, as well as the, what they file with the um, the various government bodies that are supposed to uh, monitor the testing activity for this. And if you're if 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 what they're filing with those authorities, for example, the leading one, which is California, is true then Tesla is many, many years away from even producing anything that can be upgradable to level five. I'm not saying they can't ever get there. I'm saying that uh, this is nowhere um, uh, near uh, right around the corner. And we've seen these promises every single year now for at least seven years. That this thing is a quick software upgrade here and this is going to work. And it was always, you know, basically six months to a year out at some point. And this thing is no closer in any legal definition of driving itself today than it was seven years ago. You know, what's 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 going to be important for the stock relatively short term and not today or tomorrow or next week, perhaps, but I'm talking within a few short months, not years. And my thesis there is simply that um, earnings estimates, I mean, the, what drives most stocks, I mean, if you, you know, it doesn't matter almost what industry we're looking at. I mean, this is back to Graham days, uh, just the inception of stock market analysis. I mean, when estimates come down, when Wall Street reduces their earnings estimates, stocks tend to go down. And what we've seen in the last few months, right, starting basically since the beginning of this year, since January, is that starting in January of this year, earnings estimates for Tesla started to come down. And now they're sitting at, uh, you know, about three and a quarter, 3.30, something like that on average, uh, dollars per share for 2023. They were at some point at the beginning of the year, I think four and change. And, um, you know, I think what's set them down here are the, all these price cuts, with, which obviously generated far lower margins. And I don't think that has played out yet. And at some point, if to the extent that Wall Street continues to lower their earnings estimates, it becomes all other things equal, very difficult to swim against that grain. That is, uh, that's that that's a bit of an uphill battle that, you know, a lot of things have to go right. And clearly in Tesla's case, I mean, hello, the stock has gone from 
basically from 100 to 270 here over the last few months. A lot of other things have gone right, whatever they may be. Uh, but all other things equal, a lot of things have to go right. When if earnings estimates come down, one way or the other, <clears throat> that tends to be the, the, the defining gravity that determines a stock. So I view that on on the on the from a perspective of a few months, not a few years, but a few months, I think that that will be the factor that will um, you know will cause me to be more bearish than not on the relatively short term. Again, not this day or this week, but I mean in a matter of a couple of months. Right. Well, I can't necessarily disagree with that because you no, know, I, I like to look at a lot of other factors as well, other than fundamentals, the macro, the technical uh, outlook, and like you say, Tesla has run a lot and. I do expect it to to come down as well in in the coming months. Perhaps um, I guess the difference is I would I would see that as a buying opportunity. You know whether you think about short term or long term. I mean the momentum the momentum is up, and I would use that as an opportunity to buy. I guess that's the difference. You can find Anton's articles on Tesla and the other stocks he covers on Seeking Alpha. You can follow James Ford's The Pragmatic Investor on Seeking Alpha. And transcript of this episode and all podcast episodes are available on Seeking Alpha as well. Just a reminder, anything you hear on this podcast should not be considered investment advice. This is for entertainment purposes only, and you should seek advice from a licensed professional before investing. If you enjoyed the episode, leave a rating or review on your favorite podcasting app. And we'll see you soon with a new episode.